Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And there was many days during our summer this year where we didn't get temperatures of uh, 22 degrees. So let's enjoy it. A very good Monday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Uh, John Paul taking your calls at 0818 103 103 and our texts up and running as well at 0872 103 103. Now, what a great weekend it was from a rugby point of view. What a match on uh, Saturday. And, you know, really, you're watching this uh, team and they, they really are the team of the tournament to date. And I know we, the Irish, we don't like to big ourselves up uh, too much. But certainly, you know, match after match, watching them play, they are justifying their ranking as the world's best side. And now all we can do is dare to dream because really after Saturday night, all they've now done is earned the right to play in a World Cup quarter final and that in the past has been our Alamo but we can really really uh, dare to dream now and very much take it uh, one match at a time and of course the supporters that turned out and I know listening to a lot of the players on the pitch after the matches have spoken about the support and how fantastic it is to have the sport both in the stadia and to know that they're having the support at home. And Paris was awash with green jerseys uh, Friday, Saturday and again on Sunday and seemingly at Charles de Gaulle Airport yesterday as the Green Army were making their way at home. It was all talk about next weekend. It was all talk about trying to get flights for next weekend, trying to secure match tickets and for those with children trying to find uh, babysitters. So I think as many that went last weekend will be heading again next weekend. So well done. And it's a fantastic lift for the entire country. But we can really now start to dare to dream about a World Cup. 0818-103-103. And then I can't say uh, it's with great disappointment we talk about, not even disappointment, I suppose, great sadness. We talk about the uh, five road debts uh, over the weekend. It's just, this seems to be coming uh, every every Monday I seem to be coming in talking about yet more debts on our, our, our road. So another weekend of such sad uh, tragedies. Five males in total all uh, lost their lives. Tributes have been paid to one of the victims, uh, Ian Conlon. He was just 25. He died in a Roscommon road crash. That was early yesterday morning. That was a single vehicle crash. Then yesterday afternoon, a man in his 40s died. He was involved again, a single vehicle crash on a motorcycle. That was near Glenties in County Donegal. An emergency service is always rushed to the scene. But unfortunately, that gentleman was pronounced uh, dead. And then a, a teenage pedestrian 
died. He was hit by a car on the R555 that's in County Kerry on Saturday night. It's near, near it's a little village near Listowel and that was at around 10 o'clock on Saturday night. The That young teenager was rushed to Kerry University Hospital but uh, he later uh, died and then there was a second pedestrian this time in his 40s named locally as Wayne Lynch from uh, St- um, Straban in County Louth. He was killed after being struck by a vehicle. He was on the M1 motorway near Dundalk. Now, it was the early hours of yesterday morning and it seems he'd been out celeb- watching the Ireland match and celebrating the win over uh, Scotland and was on his way home um, when, unfortunately, that incident uh, took place. And then we started the weekend on Friday night by hearing about a man in his 60s he died after his car. This was a really sad one. It veered into a lake on Inish Biggle uh, Island in Ackle. It was around half past eight on Friday night. He's been named as Christy Henry and he was well known locally for his activism in keeping residents on Inish Biggle. He was trying to get people to live on the island and he was one of just 12 people who currently live on the island. So that'd be a huge, huge sadness uh, to everybody there. So more of those road fatalities. Uh, may they all rest in peace and all we can do is pray and think of their families and they've got a very, very difficult uh, few days ahead and then very very difficult weeks, months and years. 0818103103 at John Paul taking uh, your calls and it's all about the budget today. We're now 24 hours away from budget 2024. Now the talk is that the coalition part, partners were, the leaders were meeting into the early hours of this morning to finalise uh, the details. According to reports this morning there are still some I remaining items outstanding so there will be further meetings today but right across the weekend and as I say into the early hours of this morning we had the three government leaders along with obviously the Finance Minister Michael McGrath and the Public Expenditure Minister Pascal uh, Donoghue uh, debating the final elements ahead of tomorrow's uh, announcements. Now what's been reported so far is they're including drafting a tax relief scheme for mortgage holders. Now, this will be particularly important to those who've been hit with uh, waves of interest rate hikes. That's due, of course, to the record levels of inflation. There's also got, believed to be help for mortgage holders who are in receipt of social welfare payments. and That'll come through the Department of Social Protection. There are also high-level talks about introducing pay-related benefits for people who lose their jobs. And that could see them being paid 60% of their weekly salary are up to €450 a week and they'd be given that for six months after they become unemployed. And the Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys, she has really been fighting for that uh, scheme and it would see graduated payments being paid to the unemployed rather than suddenly somebody loses their job, signing on and then it literally is they drop off a cliff edge once they lose their job when they get their first week's money through uh, social welfare. So Heather Humphreys has been calling for that for quite some time but it will come with a cost obviously to the Exchequer. The new scheme will be paid by a 0.1% increase in a PRSI paid by workers. And that would work out at about an extra 90 cent a week for uh, 
workers in this country. But I suppose the spin-off would be if God forbid you were to lose your job, at least you would know for the first six months you'd have some kind of a, a, a cushioning of sorts uh, while you try to go on to find uh, another job. Now for students, a lot of talk about students. Around 50,000 students are set for a significant budget boost. Uh, college grants uh, are in line to uh, increase by more than €300 Euro next year. The Higher Education Minister, Simon Harris, he's still in talk, so maybe there's some of the items still outstanding. He wants to reduce college fees, but he also wants to uh, secure an increase in the state-funded grants from January. They are the uh, SUSE grants. A double child benefit payment, that would be welcomed by any families listening to us uh, with children under the age of 18. Now, the speculation is that that will be paid out before Christmas. You won't have to wait until next year for that. Families are also going to benefit. There'll be an expansion of the hot school meals scheme and that will go to every primary school in the country and then what a lot of families are waiting on because the electricity bills are starting to arrive and our electricity costs are still so so high so energy credits they're talking anywhere between 300 and 400 on electricity bills and it'll be between now and next spring spring so I assume at least one of them will be paid out between now and Christmas and maybe they'll hold the second one until the uh, new year. There will also be a major hike in the allowance paid to trainee Gardaí. Now this is obviously a bid to try to boost recruitment. The weekly allowance is really pathetic. It's only €184 Euro a week. That's going to increase. It's expected it will go up to €305 Euro, and that might encourage more people to become members of Angarda Siakona. And what's been described as a modest tax relief on income for small landlords, that seemingly is also on the cards. Or else they're looking at things like they could do a reduction in capital gains tax that could be linked to how long a property remains on the rental market. For those who are renting, the rent tax credit that's set to increase. It's at €500. Anywhere between 750 and €800 Euro is what's been uh, mentioned. That will be a boost for renters. But I know the last time that we checked in with revenue, there was a very low uptake on that. So whether that has uh, changed around, I don't know. Low wor- low income workers will be pleased to hear that the minimum wage is going to increase. It is going to go up by €1.40 Euro and that will go to €12.70. Euro now that will be a bit of a financial headache for some employers who will say their businesses are struggling. So there is talks that there will be some kind of financial measures to soften the blow for employers because ultimately the employers will have to pay out the minimum wage. For those on social welfare they're looking at at least €12 a week. Last Friday when we were talking about this they were saying €10 a week. Lots more talks over the weekend. It's now looking like €12 in core welfare uh, rates. There will be your pensions, the children's allowance, disability payments, job seekers uh, allowance. But seemingly the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, he wants the rates to be even higher than 12 Or at the weekend that if Leo had his way, it would go to €15. I don't know if he's going to get his way on that. And there'll be a £1.1 billion tax package and that's very much going to focus on increasing the entry point to which people pay the top rate, the top rate of uh, 40% 
and of course has been much, much talked about. There will be cuts to the universal uh, social charge. How much of a cut? We'll have to wait and see. But as I say, some items we're being told are still outstanding. So there will be further meetings today. Now, last month saw the publication of the much anticipated Electoral Commission, which will shape the constituency landscape for the next general election. The main headliners for us here in Cork uh, was the transfer of Mallow Urban and Rural Electoral Divisions from Cork East to Cork North Central. Labour Doll Deputy for Cork East is Sean Charlock and he joins me in studio this morning to talk about the impact of the move of his uh, home base. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. I had you on probably the day or two after the uh, the Electoral Commission published their report and I did ask you and you said you needed to make a decision because obviously your home base was moving. You've made the decision about your political future and that's what you're joining us here today to talk about. What is that decision? Well, first of all, may I say, Patricia, that I'm, I feel a great privilege at the fact that I'm sitting before you because I'm communicating with yourself and directly to the people of the county of Cork, who I've always felt I had a first duty of care to. And when I spoke to you on the 1st of September, uh, I gave an undertaking to you that I would come back to you and communicate with you uh, my decision. So I have weighed it up over the last month or so and I have taken the decision now not to contest uh, the election for Dáil Éireann at the next election. And I have done a lot of weighing up of that decision uh, and I have decided that uh, because I... I'm so wedded and embedded, if you will, into the constituency of Cork East, you know, where I represent the towns of Mallow, you know, Mitchestown, Fermoy, all of the little hamlets and enclaves in between, the Butterfans, the Donrells, you know, the Castletown Roaches, all of these places where over many decades and on an intergenerational basis, going back to my father before me, where you get to know the people, you get to know their issues and you build up the relationships with them. The decision then, which came along in late August, to actually take Mallow out of Cork East. Did you see that coming? I did not see that coming, but it had a tremendous impact because it meant that places like Kildorry, which is the basis, the foundation for the Sherlock family going back 57 years ago when it all began, going back to my late father, the idea that I could no longer be allowed, if you will, to represent the people of those parishes and communities just didn't, is not sitting well with me. And the idea then that you would then start afresh at this hour of my life, having served 16 years in Dáil Éireann, and it's been the privilege of my life, and I'm so grateful for the mandate that I have received from the people. I'm eternally grateful to the people for vesting their confidence in me, uh, that the idea of starting afresh in a place, in the places like the Ballin Colleagues, the, the North Centrals of this world, it, it was a bridge too far for me, to be honest, and... You'd be knocking uh, on doors with people going, who are you? You would be knocking on doors potentially with people, who are you? Now, when I spoke to you first, I have to say that the fire was in the belly, like in the first week. You say, five seats, we'll give it a go. But then you start to consider your own personal circumstances. I have a very, very young family. We have three children, my wife, Maura, and I, you know, we, we spoke at length about it. And 
I want to spend as much time as I possibly can with my family in, you know, in the short time that we all have on mm. this planet. And I suppose I'm at a juncture now where had it Corky's remained the same, I probably would have kept going. But the decision of the Boundary Commission and they had a difficult job to do. And I hold, you know, nothing against them on that one. It's, you know, that's politics. I accept the decision fully. But you, you get such a short space of time uh, on in this life that I felt that I didn't want to start again. And it's a personal decision. And I suppose the decision of the Boundary Commission forced me to think about my own life and work patterns and personal life and so on. And because I have such a young family and because I want to spend more time with them, I didn't want to move into a new constituency which would see me moving further away from my family because the workload would be yeah, and, 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 you know, I suppose you're in a rather unique position in that, you know, your dad was was it was Joe Sherlock. So you you grew up in that household where dad was the elected representative. So you know what that's like. Is there a part of you that doesn't want that for your children? Well, the only thing I can say to begin with is that it is an incredible privilege to be given a mandate by your fellow citizens to serve in your national parliament. That is the greatest accolade that one could ever hope to achieve in my in my view. So to serve the public is just, it's a remarkable privilege, but it is all-encompassing. Uh, if you do it, you have to be absolutely and utterly, entirely committed to it, 110%. Uh, we talk about dynasties in Ireland, but if you, there are still relatively few dynasties and it's growing fewer and fewer, the number of dynasties in Ireland, I would suggest. And all one wants for one's children, and this is human, is for them to be happy and to make their own decisions when they reach adulthood about what it is that they want to do with their lives. So that's that's all I want, no more than any other parent for their children. So, but for me now at this juncture, um, you know, where a decision is made that is not is beyond your control, where you feel you've given your best, and I'm thinking about the team that we have. I'm thinking about my sister Una who, you know, serves the people as well in the background. Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, my late father, obviously, and the the wonderful family, the extended family and the team of supporters who've been with my late father and with me as well. All of those people, you know, they've been out knocking on doors, you know, for, I would say, donkey's years. And, you know, they understand the decision now. After 57 years, the Sherlock family will not be on the ballot paper in the constituency of Cork it's, it's interesting that you, you mentioned Una, your sister. Um, you obviously spoke at length with um, Una. When you, when you finally came to the decision, I'm not going to run in the next general election, what, what was Una's reaction well, and advice? I, I think we discuss these issues as a family and sometimes things come to a forced ending and sometimes there's a natural ending and in the beginning we thought oh my goodness the challenge now of representing Cork North Central but we have to try and win a seat in Cork North Central but soon that gives way to some reflection and I think we our family and I speak collectively here and I include Una I suppose we reflected on it 
and we and we came to the conclusion collectively because it is a team and you know I always say when I go into that office in Mallow and I meet Una like and, and Peter like I'm only the boy in that office sometimes you know what I mean because it's the work that Una does it's the work that Peter does and everybody who has ever worked for us in the past but We've always worked collectively. I've always said we have a very flat structure within the office because, you know, we... we, we, we give, there isn't a boss. There isn't a boss as yeah, such, yeah. you know. And what I would say on that one is that, you know, in terms of reaching the decision, to answer your question, you arrive at the decision collectively to a process of discussions. And it's a, I feel it's a, a natural ending to what is a 57-odd year uh, representation by the Sherlock family in politics in Corky. So it's coming to a natural end in that sense, even though the decision that was made, which was external and you had no control over, it, you know, was probably not natural in that sense. Yeah, I can see it's just uh, some of the reactions um, on uh, text. Um, Hi Patricia and Sean, I'm really saddened to hear that Sean Sherlock will no longer be running for election. I want to thank him for representing the people of Corky so well. I wish him well with his future plans. It's a sad day for all of us and especially for the Kildarri uh, area and someone else pretty much saying the same thing and someone else is asking what will this mean for Mallow would Sean worry about the future of Mallow that the fact that it's gone into such a large constituency well I, I can only speak for my own contribution uh, to public life and for me the motivating factor for me to get into public life the biggest issue because it's about issues was Mallow General Hospital and I remember shortly before Dad passed away we sat down and we spoke about I, I said look give me the riding instructions here Mallow what do we need to do for the hospital and there was a list of jobs that had to be completed in relation to you know endoscopy medical assessment unit and ensuring the future of the hospital so I, I'm happy that the work that my late father started you know is complete now that we have a hospital in the town of Mallow that is absolutely future-proofed and will go from strength to strength. And the evidence of that is the new building that you see uh, going up as we speak. It means that nobody will ever try to come and take that hospital away from me in the way that they would have done, take it away from us uh, in the way that they would have done in in the past. And I, I feel we have delivered, and I can only talk about my own record in relation to, you know, I'm glad that I helped to build schools in towns where in the darkest days of government between 11 and 16, where we didn't have any money, I was able to, as Minister of State in the Department of Education and working with my colleague in government at that time, David Stanton, as a team, you know, we worked might and main to ensure that we got rid of prefabs. You know, I remember Rory Quinn coming down Prior to 2011, before we ever went into government, he was the Labour spokesperson on education. I brought him around to schools and I said, if we ever get into government, those you know, we, we need that Gwail And they we, did. We need that Gwail Skull in Fromoy. We need Rahan, all of those. So the only thing I can say in answer to that is one makes the contribution in the best way that one can. One, I hope that I've served the people to the best of my ability. I'm eternally grateful to the people for giving me the mandate that they've given. Uh, and it's for somebody else now perhaps to to take up the cudgel. And OK, I, uh, I'm j- just to let listeners know, in case they've just joined us, I'm speaking with uh, Cork Eastall Deputy Sean Sherlock, who has announced he won't be running in the next uh, general election. What do you think, if uh, your father, Gabi Gutrum, was alive, what do you think his advice would have been to you at this moment in time? 
My father was the type of person who always said to us, you know, he never expect there was never an expectation that I would go into politics. He always said to us, do whatever makes you happy, you know, and that was always his his advice. And it just so happened that it made me very happy to go into politics. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, sorry, and was it directly because of him? Yes, because like I, I, I'm, I'm in danger of becoming slightly emotional at this stage, yeah. but like he had a profound effect on my thinking. Uh, and uh, because he carved out a seat in Dáil Éireann out of nothing, he had a small team of very committed people and he worked day and night. He gave everything to politics, everything to the people. So some of that, I hope, rubbed off on me. Uh, and I've always maintained that the core philosophy that he had was that it's always it's the people, you know, and it's the people who are the most vulnerable, the people who don't have their own voices uh, the people who don't have the seat at the table, they're the people that we represent. And we do that to this very day. If you're vulnerable, if you don't have your own voice, we may not succeed for you, but by goodness, we'll go through the wall for you in, in trying our best for you. And that has been the core principle. So the foundation for me was always, you know, my father's politics. And that was, but there was always within the Sherlock family, and I think of my aunts and my uncle. They, they were always given to public service, whether it's community service, whether it's, you know, community councils, whether it's, you know, volunteering. There was always that philosophy. So I think of my, my aunts and uncles in that sense. So that Sherlock gene of public service is always there. It's in your DNA. It's in your DNA. And that yeah. will that yeah. will continue, yeah. I'm sure. Well, how did the Labour Party react when you made your final decision? I think they were... You know, when I spoke to Ivana and I spoke to my part- parliamentary party colleagues and I spoke to my supporters locally, you know, I think people were maybe to begin with quite taken aback by the decision. They were shocked, but they fully understand. They themselves are politicians. They know what the sacrifices are that you, you make. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, they, they fully understand. And particularly, as I say, Patricia, given that I have a very young family mm. and, you know, they are my f- first priority my my little family that I'm you know so happy to have and so so lucky to have Maura and our extended family you know that my first duty of care is to my family so so they fully understand that if if I am now taking the decision because I want to spend more time with my family they're human so they understand that fully um and look people will make you know the the case that look this will have an impact for the Labour Party in terms of electoral prospects and so on and so forth. And they'll talk about polling numbers. The only thing I would have to say to that is that the Sherlock family have always outpolled the pollsters. And each election is an individual constituency election. And I'm very confident that there are new people coming through. You know, I see people coming through for the next local elections now. That's going to be my priority. That's where I'll be putting my energy in trying to help you know, retain seats on Cork County Council through Cahal Rasmussen, James Kennedy, you know, ensuring then that... So you're not, you're not going to leave politics not at as all. such? No, not at all. Because that will... I, I will be involved in political action and activism for the rest of my days yeah. because that's just in the DNA. My job now will be to try and help Peter Horgan, for instance, get elected to Cork City Council. And we will have 
very good candidates coming through okay. in the Fomoy okay. electoral area. You're still a politician. You're yeah. still, <laughs> and, 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 and just, you're still electioneering. But, uh, but I, and I fully, fully understand where you're coming from with the, the young family. And I think it's, it's possibly different for the Dublin TDs. They can go home every night. Is that the hardest part? You obviously ring home to see how the children are. And there must, there must have been times where you left where someone was spiking a temperature or somebody had chicken pox. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's happened lots of times. Now, yeah. thank goodness for Irish Rail. People give out about Irish Rail, but Irish Rail has been the greatest gift for me because it means that if ever there are family emergencies like that, you know, the option is always there to get the nine o'clock train out of Dublin. Yeah, uh, try get home. a pair yeah. <laughs> if there's a late vote, if there's anything happening at home. And, and, and I, I, we're so lucky that we have that rail system and now we have the extended leap, which we've campaigned for five years on. And, you know, but 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 I suppose what I'm saying is that it's important now for me to 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 be more involved in my family life, yeah. I suppose, you know. You don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss yeah. out. I don't want like we, you know, and I don't want to speak too much about my own personal circumstances, except to say that I, I love going to the training sessions. I love going to the events that the lads are involved in. And I want to be very much involved in that. And I don't want to miss out on that. I have been living out of a suitcase for about 16 years. I'm so used to it now. I did. It just becomes second nature. Uh, but when the decision of the Boundary Commission was made, I started to think about the fact that, you know, how much longer can one continue that life and still maintain a family life? And something has to give. And I, I'm just reprioritising back towards my family. And are you at peace with the decision I, I, that I'm, you've made? I am very, very happy about the decision. I met with uh, our own team, the Labour Party Cork East team last night. Uh, it was a fabulous meeting because I looked at the faces of the people that were there who have been there for years, stalwart people who went out and knocked on doors, uh, you know, for, you know, for 50 years in some instances, Mm. you know. And um, I was happy leaving that meeting that we have made our contribution. But I think there is a there will be a further contribution, but it will be for somebody else to step onto the pitch now. But uh, I'm happy with my decision uh, I'm happy that we have done our best for people. I'm I'm happy that we have delivered projects for people in the constituency of Cork East. And I've happy I'm happy that we have always tried to represent the people who are the most vulnerable. That's always been our stock and trade. Uh, but we'll continue to do that because I'm not finished yet. <laughs> OK, someone says, uh, Michael says, all the best uh, to Sean Sherlock, who we soldiered many years ago in summer jobs, making a few quid to get us through college through the winter season. He was a genuine, admirable guy, never changed through the years. I followed him through his public life. He's not just a loss to the North and East Cork area, but Sean Sherlock will be a loss to the entire body politic. More power to him in more power to him in his next chapter. Michael you, Foley, Killavullen, now Groom. <laughs> well, you know, Michael Foley, you know, a great man and a great journalist in yeah. his own right, a great sports journalist, Absolutely. a mighty writer. Like, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. What now for Sean Sherlock? So I, I, I'm, I, I know that today I have work to do and it's like I said, uh, the last day, you know, I have jobs to do today and I have, I'll keep going and I'll put 110% of my energy into, uh, you know, the rest of my days as a public representative until the end of my mandate. And and I'm not just saying this, I have a list of jobs to do after this and we'll just take it 
day by day. Because by you, day. you you go now, I mean, you're, you're not leaving Pollock, you're not leaving no. Cork East today. It's when the next general election, because we've released another gear um, until the next uh, election is uh, called. So you'll work. But, by the way, has politics changed in the, it's the, the 16 years? You're about 20 years altogether in politics. Never lost an election either, which is not, not every politician can say that. But I'm watching in particular... Um, the rise of the right and the ugly scenes that happened outside uh, Dáil Éireann. Have you seen a change? Well, I, I have seen a change in the discourse, the narrative. It has coarsened. There's no doubt about that. And I'm there's no wisdom that I'm bringing to that statement that hasn't already been said. Uh, but what I will say is that for everything, my philosophy is a very simple philosophy. Philosophy. For every one negative interaction that I have, which is political, there are tenfold the number of positive interactions that I have. And so people in the vast majority, 99.9% of the Irish people are positive and will make their decisions at the ballot box based on what they feel are in their best interests in a democratic way. And Irish people understand that democracy is fragile and they will not allow those who are undemocratic or fascistic uh, or seek to undermine democracy. I'm confident that they will not receive a mandate. The vast bulk of the Irish people are decent and thinking people. And as long as that remains, I have no fear about the rise of the far right. I think the politics remains largely in the centre left, centre right ground. And I don't see that changing fundamentally uh, over a long period of time. OK, Mike uh, says, morning, Patricia. I just would like to uh, thank the late Joe Sherlock, Sean's dad, and with Sean and Una, all the best. And to all of the staff, I'd like to thank them for all of the help they gave me in Bantry Hospital. That's from Michael O'Reardon, who is from New Two Pot House and also from uh, Bantry. Uh, Sean, we wish you the best. I know, we, as I say, I know we will be speaking with you between now and the next uh, general election. But listen, you're always a pleasure whenever we contact you. You never leave us down for an interview. So we really do appreciate the, the with that and I very much appreciate that you came today to uh, share what is going to be I think for a lot of people are going to be really really upset about you making this decision but I can see it in you while you I, I can sense the emotion but I can also see that you're at peace with the decision and that's the important one so to you and Mary and the rest of the uh, family we wish you all the best and thank you for joining us in studio Thank you Patricia and I just want to say again to sincerely thank you for this and uh, again without promise and I mean it very genuinely the public service that you provide here, it, it is vital because it allows for a discourse to take place where conversations take place between politicians and, and you, the journalist and presenter, in a way that is calm, which sheds light on an issue as opposed to heat on an issue. And long may you continue. You're very good. You're very good. Deputy Sean uh, Sherlock, uh, currently the Labour Doll Deputy for Cork East. Thank you for joining us in studio. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Councillor James Kennedy uh, from Mallow has been on. He wants to wish the best of luck to Sean Sherlock and to his sister Una. It was their late dad, Joe, that saved Mallow General Hospital. 
hospital at the time and let nobody forget that and it was all thanks to Sean that the extension was built built, and uh, we did touch on that uh, during the course of my interview just in case you've joined us we've had um, Cork East Dáil Deputy Sean Sherlock in studio to announce he will not be contesting the uh, next uh, election and it follows the redrawing of a number of electoral constituencies in August by the Electoral Commission and Sean's home base of Mallow has gone from Cork East to Cork North Central so he's made the decision now he will run in uh, he had the decision to make to either run in Cork North Central or to run in Cork East or not to run at all and he's made the decision not to run at all 0818 um, on other issues on the budget and the cost of everything going up. Willie from uh, Glanthorn says, is it by imagination or what? Every time the government promise to give us some form of electric credit, credits, our electricity bills seem to go sky high. What is going on at all? Also, the USC charge, that was brought in as an emergency when uh, COVID brought, it was brought in way before uh, COVID, but it was brought in an emergency after the IMF and all of the bailout. Why has it not been removed? Uh, the much-hated USC charge. Uh, Willie, you'll be glad, or you may be glad to hear that there's going to be a reduction, a slight reduction in it, but certainly there's no talks of that getting announced tomorrow that they're going to scrap the USC. It brings too much money into the exchequer. And also the talks of €12 to give to people on the state pension. That is a disgrace. The way shopping has gone up and is still going up. Every time you go to do your shopping, everything is on the increase. Shame on the government. They need to be doing more with the cost of living uh, crisis. Hi Patricia, in last year's budget there was a promise of an increase in the state pension for every year you worked beyond 66. I haven't heard anything be mentioned at all about it. Will they keep their promise tomorrow in the budget? I wonder. That's still very much on the table. Don't know if it's going to be included tomorrow or not but there is that big push that rather than retire at 66 and some people that know in some jobs you've got to go at 66 but other companies very much welcome older workers staying on and there is still that promise but it hasn't been introduced yet but I haven't heard it been scrapped but certainly no mention of it in tomorrow's budget and Dave says Patricia any idea why the Greens are not calling for HVO that's the high hydrogenated vegetable oil um, it would make an instant improvement to emissions and would be so much cheaper than kerosene would you be able to get the Greens or even Eamon Ryan to join you to talk about it and why they aren't pushing for more HVO fuel maybe it's down to the excise that they will lose out on says Dave 0818103103 John Paul continues to uh, take your calls um, Monica in Mallow says I do hope people from Mallow realise the change is coming down the line with the way the constituency has been withdrawn. Mallow will now be represented mainly by politicians who live in the city. I was surprised that more businesses didn't react to this change. This will be a major change to Mallow and its uh, hinterland. We've already seen businesses closing. If we have nobody fighting for us, uh, what's going to happen? And somebody else is making that point as well. The real losers here. While wishing Sean Sherlock all the best in his decision not to run in the next general election, the real loser here is going to be Mallow and the hinterlands. Who's going to fight for us now, uh, says that particular listener. And in fairness uh, to Sean, when he was looking at trying to make the decision, decision, would he run or not? It wasn't just Mallow he was going to lose. It was all the other, you know, the Killavollans, the Castletown Roaches, the Kildallerys. It was all the other areas that he was going to lose as well. All of that moved into the city. Somebody says, 
Justice, Patricia, how can somebody in Castletown Roach identify with somebody in the city? This uh, There's going to be a big, big, John is going to be a big, big loss to the North Cork area. OK, that's some of your calls and texts uh, coming in. John Paul's taking the calls 0818103103. Phones have been quite busy, so don't forget you can always text or WhatsApp us your, your comments to 0862103103. And the emails are always there as well. You can email uh, Cork today at c103.ie. C103 Jobs. Registered nurses are required to work for Nazareth House in Mallow. You must have board alterage registration. They're also looking for healthcare assistance. CVs, please, to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com. An administration assistant is wanted for a full-time position. It's four days per week. It's in the Bishopstown area. CVs, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Tire fitter required for Ballancolic. Experience will be an advantage, but a full driver's licence of good English is essential. Uh, CVs, please, to CAV, K-A-V, CAV tires at gmail.com. And a rigid truck driver is wanted for local work Cork City area, but there's also a Dublin run once a week. Call Jerry at 087 275 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, Noel Howard from Kilworth has just published his third book, Terror tears and tragedy and it's a fascinating account of a notorious divorce case that took place in 1876 between two titled individuals and joining me to discuss his book local historian and author Noel Howard. Good morning to you Noel. Good morning Patricia. Now this really is an incredible story and you've put a lot of research into it. What inspired you to write this book? Well, what inspired me, I suppose, Patricia, was in my first book, which was about another big house here in Kilworth, Ballinacarraga, I alluded to this divorce case because I'd come across it in bits and pieces that I had been researching. And um, just out of the blue, an old school friend of mine, Dennis Ryan, who's a little older than me, um, read the Ballinacarraga book. And then one day he gave me a ring to say he had a book on the divorce case. Now, I wasn't quite sure what he meant. So I met him in Dublin and he showed me what he had. And about 30 years ago, he had been in a a, a secondhand bookshop antique store down, I think it was in Skull. And he came across this book called Morgan versus Morgan, which were was the married names of, of the two individuals involved, Lady Louisa and Richard Spread Morgan. And he just couldn't believe what he found. Somebody in 1876, and I'd love to know who it was, <laughs> had cut out every day's reporting from the Freeman's Journal, which was the nationalist paper of the time, cut out every day's reporting and pasted it into a blank book. It came to about 130 pages, which uh, the print is so small, well, it's hardly readable, and in today's world, it probably would be five or six hundred pages long. So I, I just couldn't resist it. Like from the minute I started reading the actual account. Now, what happened, of course, subsequently was 
that I realised that there were different takes by different papers. The Irish Times, while reporting substantially the same story, had different angles to it, the Cork Examiner, the Cork Constitution. So, so it was fascinating in that respect even. But it was, it was the book that somebody had uh, out of interest, perhaps maybe even one of the family, who knows, uh, had gone to the trouble of, of cutting out the pieces and pacing. That's what led me to, to begin and, it. And you know something, Noel, thank God they did because the story uh, would yeah. have been confined to the annals of history and we wouldn't have this fascinating story between these uh, two. So I suppose we need to set the scene, I suppose, and talk about the couple uh, involved. Catherine yeah. Louisa Moore, she was Lady Mount Cashel and she was known as Lady Louisa. Tell me about her first. Well, she was a member of the Mount... Uh, she was a daughter of the Third Earl, and she was a member... That particular family were very typical of the Anglo-Irish gentry of the time. Um, there were three sons, there were four daughters. The three sons followed the traditional kind of route, uh, one into the army, one into the church, and one into business. The four daughters, as was the custom of the time, just waited around to be married, really. And... Uh, Three of them did, one of them didn't. Louisa was the youngest daughter, and on the 10th of August, 1858, she married uh, Richard Spread Morgan. Now, Richard would have been marrying slightly up, if I can put it that way, okay. insofar as the Mount Cashers were titled. Uh, Richard's uh, father was a magistrate uh, of, of quite some standing uh, in the local North Cork area. Uh, so in that, in that sense... Uh, they, they, they weren't equals, I suppose. Uh, but I don't think that necessarily had much to do with the marriage falling apart from a very, very early stage. Yeah, I mean, isn't it reasonable to say that the marriage was never really a happy one? Never really. And both admitted in the, in the court case in 1876 that almost from the word go, uh, it, ju- it, just, it just didn't seem to be working out. And I'm sure when they walked out of the little church here in Kilworth, uh, on that August day, their intentions were the best, as would be every couple's. But uh, an interesting snippet that I came across was that on the honeymoon, uh, Richard's father had given Louise a £20 to buy a ring. Okay. And he took the £20 from her on the basis that she might lose it, was the term he used. So, I mean, uh, in, in terms of where things were going to go, that probably was the harbinger of, of, of what was to come. Yeah, particularly when that, it, when that happened on, on, on the honeymoon. So yes. it was he, was, of course, we're talking about a very different era. It yeah. was Captain Richard was trying to divorce Lady Louisa, wasn't it? And she yeah. went to contest the divorce. She, she went to contest the divorce. Yeah. Now, of course, divorce at that time, Patricia, was a very, was essentially a separation, was essentially a separation. And, uh, I mean, it was not until, obviously, 1995 the divorce became uh, legal in Ireland, and it was a bit earlier. I think it was 1937 Divorce Act in Britain where it became legal there for a woman to, and, you know, where they could re- remarry. Mm. Uh, but this was simply separation. Now, like one of the reasons I think that Louisa contested it was that uh, had he won the case, well, I mean, her adultery with a number of named individuals in the Cork area, uh, you know, would would really have, I suppose, put pay to some of their careers. And there was one very, very important man, a solicitor called Henry Bacon Julian, you know, who was highly respected in Cork legal circles. And certainly for him, his professional and personal integrity would have been impugned, to put it mildly, had had she lost 
Because, yeah, he, I mean, he made out that she had had affairs with a hundred men. That, that, that's right, that's right. And, and on one occasion, it was alleged that she had had an affair with a priest, on a Catholic priest on a train. Now, interestingly, again, she contested that and she said, which initially I kind of wondered a bit about, she said she had actually never spoken to a Catholic priest in her life. And the more I thought about that, it, I mean, that was not necessarily untrue, uh, even though they lived across the road from the Catholic Church here in Kilbert and their estate in Moorpark. So, yes, uh, th- there were numerous allegations about her, uh, about her adultery uh, and so on, and, and that formed the basis of, of of Richard's legal team's case. And was it unusual for a woman to go to court to fight her case in divorce proceedings at the time, bearing in mind she'd have gone into a courtroom that was full of men? That's right. There were no women. I mean, it was an extraordinary scene in a way. Here you had a 43-year-old woman, mother of three children, sitting in a courtroom in the torrid heat. The temperatures in late June, early July in 1876, from what I could gather, were about 24 or 25 degrees. And she was there on her own, apart from her father, who was a tremendous support at Third Earl Mount Cashel, apart from her father and obviously her legal team. She was there among among, uh, up to 150 men in the courtroom and others were outside trying to get in and the proceedings were kind of relayed probably by some type of messenger system no pun on your name uh, some type of messenger system to those waiting outside and of course the, the story went round the world and, and, and can you explain that to us why I mean it, it almost sounded like this was a celebrity couple who were before the Dublin Matrimonial uh, Court and the fact that it was getting so much coverage in all of the papers Yes well I, I think the cele- yeah the celebrity to a certain extent that, that, would be, that would be putting your finger on it now alright but I think the nature of the allegations uh, those against whom the allegations were made like uh, the solicitor I mentioned, I think that added to the whole thing. And what emerges, I think, in the court case is that it almost became, uh, to a certain extent, at occasionally a bit of a circus because both teams uh, certainly seemed to be playing to the gallery. I mean, there was laughter in court. Uh, there was applause in the court. The judge at times had to quell the applause. Uh, it, it, it was one of those cases where uh, legal teams were trying to outdo each other, and I'm sure that really hasn't substantially changed in the world we live in today. Uh, but it, it added a certain amount of I, I suppose glamour to the whole thing, if that's the word to use. And, uh, and people know, were waiting every day for the newspapers to come out to get the next instalment. Waiting for the next instalment. <laughs> and of course, they, they waited for five days. And interestingly, the jury returned their verdict in less than five minutes uh, after, after the hearings had gone on for five days. Yeah. And th- her cross-examination, Noel, was, ha- was, was brutal, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely brutal. I mean, every aspect of, of this woman's life on a personal and intimate basis what was gone into. And it seemed extraordinary that the judge actually allowed uh, the main, the main uh, witness of the main uh, leading lawyer for Richard's side to pursue the allegations to the extent that he did and what he said about her and what he questioned her about. And on one occasion... Uh, her father, the third Earl, who was quite an old man at that stage, and keeping in mind that Louise's mother and the Earl's wife was dying at home in Moorpark, um, 
he at one stage interrupted and said, look, you know, does this have to be gone into? And the judge took a very strong line with him. I mean, now Lord Mountcashel would have been an eminent peer Mm. uh, and so on, but the judge, uh, to use a modern phrase, just slapped him down and kind of put him back in his box, really. so, so. And and some of the of the papers, as you say, all the papers took a different angle. But every graphic detail of the That's trial right. was published in uh, in so many papers to the extent that men in rural areas were told to hide the newspapers from the women. That's right. Now, why why men in in in, in cities weren't told that I don't know, <laughs> but, but it seems it seems that women in rural areas must have been a different sort of they creature sen- or something. They were sen- <laughs> they were sensitive souls, and, and and obviously the thinking was it would upset them to read this graphic detail. Yes, it it, it it would. I suppose that, that yeah, that 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 was it. And keep in mind, Patricia, that in the era we are talking about, the newspapers, particularly in terms of the the nationalist papers, we'll say the Freeman's Journal, would have been something that was you know that was read out to people. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, by by maybe a local school teacher, somebody who could read. Now, the the literacy rate wasn't that bad, but there would have been a lot of people who couldn't read and write. So it would be one one of those things that would have been read out, perhaps in in public houses and, and, you know. Oh, uh, my God. And the the graphic details of this poor woman. She, She comes across in your book, Noel. She was a very strong woman, bearing in mind the position of women in, in, right. in that era. Yes, she was. And I think to some extent she inherited that strength. Uh, and we were very fortunate at our launch here in Kilworth and in Dublin to have uh, Louise's great-granddaughter, Helen uh, Breen-Golden, uh, on hand to say a few words. And uh, she was, a, yeah, Louise was a very, very strong woman. Her grandmother uh, had been uh, governed, the governess in Mitchellstown Castle, where Margaret Kingston, uh, her grandmother grew up, was Mary Wollstonecraft, you know, a very renowned feminist and educator. And I think Louise, in 
inherited some of that. I, mm. I think she did as well. Uh, and she was a very feisty woman. She brought her father-in-law, who had given her the 20 quid for the wedding ring, she brought him to court in Cork in uh, just four years after the, the wedding to Richard on the basis that he had attempted to take back a carriage from her that she had stored in a, a neighbor's house. Uh, and so on, and she was very, very badly treated by by Richard's uh, father, yeah. the the eminent. Uh, she, she, uh, she certainly magistrate. was. She was no stranger to a courtroom. She was. Oh gosh, she wasn't, and because prior to the, the divorce trial, which is really is the is is the zenith of of the court appearances that they made, they were in and out of court like yo-yos. Really, I mean, she brought him to court a number of times, you know, to seek maintenance for the children, uh, to seek money that was due for wine and for saddlery and for that kind of thing that they would be used to in the circle in which they moved. And um, they were in court again afterwards. Uh, so it, they, they were no strangers at all to court. OK, were, and, but, and you mentioned her elderly dad, who, bless his heart, you know, stood by her and went to court every day. And it couldn't have been easy to have heard some of the testimony that was coming out against his, uh, you know, much-loved uh, daughter. And as oh, you say, his, his wife was dying at home. And, and the following day, what happened? The following day, the trial ended, and the following day, uh, Louise's mother died. Oh, my God. And in, in a remarkable coincidence, in a remarkable coincidence, uh, Louise's daughter, Lady Jane, Louisa Jane, uh, was the first woman in Ireland 10 years later, in 1886, to get a divorce by going to the House of Lords. So she, she wrote herself into the history books, and she got the divorce on the 17th of May, 1886, and the following day, on the 18th, Lady Louisa died. So to, it, it was a remarkable coincidence that remarkable. both mothers died, yeah, yeah the day yeah. after. The day after such victories, which were bittersweet, obviously, because whatever joy there was in both women's cases were tempered by the fact that their mothers Their mothers passed died, away, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the house, they, the house Moor Park, where they would have lived, what, what, is, that's gone, is it? That, that, that's gone. It was there, I mean, as a child, and many, many older people in Kilmer would have played there. Uh, but that's gone now because uh, Chagas has taken over that whole area, the, the, the Moor Park estate. And uh, there's, I think there's a wall or two of some outbuildings left, but that's about all. It was one of those magnificent houses, uh, so one that had all the trappings that one uh, hears about and reads about and sees on television uh, stories about the period. And uh, it... It certainly would have provided a lot of employment locally and so on. And interestingly, the third Earl, Louise's father, was extremely anti-Catholic. And when, in the early 1800s, they were building the Catholic Church in Kilworth, he found to his dismay that when he came out in his carriage at the entrance to Moor Park to his estate, he, he saw the Catholic Church when he hit the road. So, not to be outdone, he took down the gates, the huge gates, uh, and the surrounds and move them back up towards the village so he wouldn't have to see the church when he, when he left his estate. Yeah. But, but with, that, with that said, Patricia, I changed my mind to some extent about him. He, yeah. he was very anti-Catholic, but in his own way, he did, during the famine, I think he performed fairly well uh, by, by highlighting what was, what was wrong, of, you know, people starving in the village. His wife, uh, who was a Swiss woman, uh, you know, paid for the burial of a number of people in the village, that kind of thing. And later, perhaps influenced by his daughters, among whom there was another daughter, Helena, who didn't have a very happy marriage either. But he was, he was very, 
active in promoting women's rights. And he did that on a number of occasions later on in his life. So having gone through the trial in 1876 and all it entailed, one would kind of think that, you know, this man is going to sit back and have some kind of a quiet life after all he's been through. But he didn't. And yeah. in his own way, yeah, in his and own way. And obviously influenced by watching what his own daughters went oh, through. Well, listen, it, yes. it, it, it's a fascinating uh, read. And of course, the add on to this is uh, Patrick Bergen, the uh, the actor. There's a possibility that this is this story is going to be made either into a, a movie or, or a TV miniseries. Yes, he, he, mentioned, he, mentioned, he mentioned that a couple of times and mentioned it at the launch. I, like, I, 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 I know what the difference between a miniseries and a movie is, but I think his reasoning is, and he would know because he's been in over 100 films, uh, he, he would know that it, there are so many strands to the story yeah. that it would be difficult for a kind of a movie in the ordinary sense of the word to accommodate all those strands. So we'll, we'll be optimistic and look okay. to the future. Watch this space and let us know. Let us know. Listen, it's a yeah. great it's a great read. It's a great book. Where is it available for sale? Well, it's available in the local shops and for more in Mitchellstown okay. and so on. But uh, anybody who's looking for it who's not from the local area can get it from buythebook.ie. Buy the uh, book as in B-U-Y? That's right, B-U-Y the book, yeah. And that, by the way, is uh, a lead from company set up about three or four years ago by a couple and they're in competition with the mighty Amazons and all the other ones out there. So it's great. Uh, It's an Irish company and and deserves support. Okay, well, listen, congratulations. Uh, It's a great book. Is book number four already in the mind? Ah, it is, uh, yes, <laughs> it is, it is. It'll be a little more serious if it's the one I think it will be. Okay. But, well, that was, that was serious this too. This was I mean, serious, yeah. yeah indeed. Yeah, indeed, fascinating indeed. read. Listen, and Noel, good luck with it. And thank you so much for joining us on the programme this morning. Yeah, my pleasure, Patricia. Good thank morning you. to you. Bye-bye. That is Noel Howard, uh, historian and author of the book called Terror, Tears and uh, Tragedy. Uh, it really is a great read. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp as 0862103103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A world premiere of a new musical will open at the Palace Theatre in Formoy on Saturday, the 21st of October. Twin Flames the musical can only be described as a totally Cork event. It's set in Cork with Cork characters and actors. And joining me to preview the event, the writer and composer, Kevin Fitzsimons. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Patricia. Happy Monday to you. And ha- I'm very well, thank you. Happy Monday to you uh, as well. Is this a first for you to write a full musical? Um, well, I actually put on quite a, a crude early version of it in, in Father Matthew Hall back in 2004. Uh, and I got the bug after that. I really wanted to bring uh, what I had at the time to a bigger stage. Um, but when I presented uh, my baby, as I call mm-hmm. it, to, to several professional script doctors, they all told me I didn't know what I was doing and that the story wasn't there and the characters weren't defined enough. And I remember one of them in particular, Pat Talbot, who was very good to me from the Everyman, Pat said, if this is going to get to a a bigger stage, he said, you're going to have to put a mountain of work into this. And I remember I looked Pat in the eye and I said, Pat, I am. What what if I told you I was willing to put in that mountain of work? 
Uh, and I think I have, because the work has never really stopped on it, and it has has, has given me nothing but but joy over over the years. A pure labour of love, uh, Patricia. Well done, you know? well done. And and how do you put a musical together? I mean, does the story come first, and and then the songs come? I mean, how do you put together a musical? Well, it was interesting. It was quite a few years back when I was recording some original music. Um, the producer said to me, he said, Kevin, every time you come in with an original song, it sounds like something that would fit very well into a musical. Now, I had never that that idea or thought had never crossed my mind at the time. Um, but this I think this was about September. And then uh, for the following Christmas in, in that week between Christmas and New Year's Day, his words came back to me and I thought, Jesus, I wonder, is he on to something there? I wonder, could I start writing songs for a, for, for a musical? And if I did, what would it be about? So listening to the lyrics of my own songs to see if there was any thread of a story there. So it kind of emerged from that uh, on a very uh, gradual uh, basis. But I'd have quite a kind of a tick box mentality to everything I do, Patricia. So uh, what I wanted to do this time around was that I wanted to have it as world class as I could possibly have it. Now, when I say world class, I'm not talking in terms of budgets here, but just in terms of I was saying, you know, if this I wanted to write a musical firstly in the style of the classic musicals because I don't believe that has happened for decades. So I always wondered why there was no kind of modern uh, Blood Brothers or Sound of Music or High Society uh, or even Rent, which is another musical that I'm a fan of. So it, it was partly because I didn't think there was much competition around when it came to original musicals that I decided I was going to set this huge goal for myself and try to write it myself. So I knew from the very get-go that if this is to be the best it can be, it needs, a, a you know, an intriguing storyline with lots of twists and turns. It needs comedy that's going to be genuinely funny. It's going to need characters that are well-rounded and relatable. Uh, it's going to need music that is top class because you know people are hearing my songs now for the first time and I have to make an impression with every single one of them now I had the privilege to work with Paul Linehan of the Frank and Walters who produced the music for me I wrote it myself Paul produced it uh, and it was an absolute uh, pleasure um, working with them but we both agreed that we can have no filler songs in this musical every song has to make an immediate impact on the audience in terms of its catchiness yeah, and that's you know, what the classic musical does. One song after the next, after the next. And they all in, the, in their own, ab- they can all stand up in their own right. OK, I suppose without giving too much away, can you tell us a little bit about the storyline? It's set in the, in, the, in the 1960s in Cork City. That would be the yes. height of the Ford Motor Plant. Absolutely. And in the first scene, um, there's plenty of references to the the lads working in the Ford's motor plant and plenty of references to what were known at the time as the Dagenham Yanks. These were Cork people who went to Dagenham and the the Ford plant in Dagenham in England to work where the money was absolutely savage by all accounts. And then they would return to Cork at Christmas time and over the summer and they dressed in pinstripe suits and the, 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 you know, the women were all over them and they, they had money to burn and they were referred to as the Dagenham Yanks of course they, they still had their Cork accents and everything else so yeah it, it's set in, in Cork City in the 1960s as a kind of a loose backdrop of the Ford motor plant but our main protagonist Phil Toomey 
Um, he has, uh, unfortunately, a gambling addiction, and that gambling addiction is going to take him to rock bottom in his life, where he loses his home, uh, his job, uh, his best friends, and his twin flame, Fiona Murray. Now, unbeknownst to Phil, he's actually on a twin flame journey. I'm not, too, I'm not sure if people are familiar with the whole concept of twin flames, but it's quite a spiritual kind of a concept where, uh, you know, you can have a number of soulmates in your life, but apparently you can only have one twin flame. And the purpose of the twin flame is to trigger a spiritual awakening uh, in you at some point in your life when you hit rock bottom. So as it turns out, in my story, Phil and Fiona are on a twin flame journey uh, and things are going to get really bad for Phil. And even though my show, it it is a comedy, you wouldn't think it from what I've just said, (laughs) but it's it's a dark comedy. Um, uh, uh, the characters are very relatable, very, very, very cork, and uh, there's lots of laughs in it. Uh, but there's this very serious side as well. Yeah, well, because, it's a bit. You know, it's, it even it's, deals. Yeah, it's a bit like Blood Brothers. I mean, uh, Blood Brothers is is uh, is a hoot. It's really, really funny, but ultimately, it's a yes. very, very sad, tragic story. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and you know it works. It very much um, uh, 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 works, and. Um, is the has, has the music got a sixties feel to it? Uh, absolutely, it yeah. has. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Beatles fan myself, okay. Patricia. Um, I, I'm probably too much of a Beatles fan. I spend my life listening to the Nothing Is Real podcast, which goes into incredible detail on every one of the Beatles. But certainly, the Beatles and and people will recognise it in the music as well, um, which is great because I've I, I've been influenced by a lot of the Beatles sounds of Sgt Pepper and Revolver and Robert Soul and all that. And I'm a huge Paul McCartney fan in particular, and he's had a big influence. On my songwriting, uh, particularly, I suppose the the uh, the, the the you know the tunes like uh, when I'm 64 and Honey Pie and all those those classic McCartney tunes have been a big influence on my own writing. Okay, so you're ready for this seven night run. It's Saturday the 21st of October to Saturday the 28th. There's a break on the uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. And is there it. a huge sense of excitement now, Kevin, watching it all come to life and and watching it uh, on stage? Well, well, Patricia, it's funny, right, because it was something that was always out in the distant future for me. And it's only in the last couple of weeks it's coming home to me. <laughs> We're only weeks away from opening. And it's a very strange feeling of, of sheer unadulterated excitement and um, a huge amount at the same time of, of nervousness and trepidation. Because the nature of musicals is that you really need to, the stars to align for a, show to, for a show to go on because the situation is always precarious if anything goes wrong or anybody can't deliver or God forbid if anything happened to one of the cast in the meantime then that's it so (laughs) not to be coming across as negative about it but until the curtain goes up and the show goes on uh, and anything can happen you're you're like the expectant father Kevin <laughs> I think that is a, a brilliant way of putting it, Patricia. Absolutely, it is exactly like that. And well, it is, I suppose, it is. It's giving birth to a brand new Cork musical, which is which is as which is which gets, is really you know? really exciting. Palace Theatre in Formoy. Any plans to stage it anywhere else after the run of the Palace? 
Well, Patricia, the way I've always looked at this, I've looked at, at it from day one as an experiment. And the experiment is to bring this musical as far as it can possibly go. So by looking at it as an experiment, if it, if it, if it runs in Fermoy and stops there, then so be it. That's the result of the experiment. But I would love it to go on to the Opera House or the Everyman or even further afield, because I think it has all the, the, the qualities of what you would look for in, in a classic musical. And I think everybody leaving the theatre will be in an upbeat, fantastic, positive mood and hopefully singing a lot of the tunes first. Listen, we wish you um, uh, lots of uh, luck uh, with it. Tickets are available at great gr8events.ie forward slash twin flames and it's a one-week run at the Palace Theatre in Formoid. The best of luck with it, Kevin. Thank you very much, and Patricia. Thanks a million really appreciate for, it. That's, thank you for joining us. Good All morning to you. That All is right. uh, Kevin Fitzsimons. Now, some of your thoughts coming in in advance of the budget tomorrow. Eleanor reckons that the elderly are the ones that need to be targeted in this budget because of the cost of living crisis that we are all living through. Uh, she says her suggestion would be why not increase the household benefit package because that's primarily aimed at uh, older people. I haven't heard anything mentioned under the household benefit uh, package. I mean, what they are uh, saying for pensioners and indeed for everyone on social welfare, a rise of more than €12 Euro is now being speculated what that figure is going to be. Uh, we don't uh, know. There will be more of the one-off payments. Do you remember like the ones they did last year? Some of those, Eleanor, certainly will be targeted at uh, older people. And it is now looking like the energy credits, the electricity credits, and that will go to every single home in the country. It's expected now that they will be worth €400. Euro. How they will divide them up. I don't know whether they'll give them in two lots of 200 like they did the last time, but it's not going to be as generous as last year. Last year they gave 600 euro in total, but it will be 400 euro and that certainly will be well, well received by so many people who are struggling to pay their electricity bills and definitely on the cards I think is the the double child benefit payment and that will be done sometime between now and Christmas. I'm assuming it'll be given out in the December uh, payment on the first Tuesday in December but all of that is going to have to the, the devil is in the detail. We're going to get, wait for the detail on that uh, tomorrow but Eleanor reckons more needs to be done for older uh, people and then at the other end of the scale Anne in Mallow is thinking of young couples and first time buyers. Uh, she says uh, in relation to the budget I firmly believe that the help to buy scheme it currently only applies to first-time buyers when buying a brand new house. That should apply to first-time buyers when they're purchasing a second-hand home. It would definitely help so many young people get onto the property ladder. My son and his girlfriend were looking to buy their first home, then COVID kicked in. At that time, there were no new houses available because, of course, they weren't being built. So they ended up having to buy a second-hand home, which, by the way, they are delighted with, but they lost out on the grant as uh, no new houses were available when they went out to try to purchase their uh, home. Now, there has been talk about what they're going to do uh, and certainly last month it was announced that they are going to extend that first time, the first time buyers uh, scheme and it is going to be extended to properties built by site owners for personal use. But again, that is a brand new home. Up to now, Anne, Anne is right, it was only available for people who were buying a new build, uh, be it an apartment. I was 
was also the, you could get a second hand home but you had to it was for renters whose landlord was deciding to sell the property though uh, people who were first time buyers were able to purchase uh, then in that case second hand home but for everybody else it was brand new uh, homes and it's now been extended to include people from last month who are building their own uh, home and the financial support is good it's available up to 30% of the total cost of the bill so 30% for whatever and son and his partner paid would have been would have been a help. There was a lot of talk back earlier in the summer. Certainly here some of the backbench TDs were coming out and they very much were asking for what Anne was uh, talking for, that the eligibility should include uh, second-hand uh, homes. But I know at the time what they saw was, well, what certainly the opposition saw as extending it to second-hand homes would only increase the prices of existing homes and there was a kind of a pushback against it. Anyway, for now, it has been extended to people who are building a house on their own, you know, their own land. Uh, that, that wasn't there before, but that has uh, changed now, but no, and for now, certainly... No help for people buying a second-hand home. But, you know, you are right. There isn't a slew of new properties available, even though we're told they are building more all the time. 0818 103 103. Keep your thoughts and comments uh, coming in uh, to us. And I would be interested to hear people's views on the fact that we could end up in the future having funerals with no priests, priestless Funerals are likely to become very commonplace. And in, in we're not talking about something that's going to happen in 50 years. It could come by the end of this decade. It's a prediction from the Association of Catholic Priests and they're warning that families who are grieving are going to end up seeing radical changes on how we have funerals at the moment. And this is obviously due to the unavoidable impact of declining clergy numbers. And it was Father Roy Donovan, who is a member of the Association of Catholic uh, Priests, they represent about a thousand uh, priests all over the country. And he believes ceremonies which are led by lay ministers and therefore you won't be able to have a funeral uh, mass they are going to become the norm, particularly in urban built up uh, areas. And he says it's going to happen in a few years time. Now, a number of dioceses, including Dublin, obviously Dublin is the largest uh, diocese in the country. They've already taken the lead by introducing training programmes for parishioners. And that's obviously to ease the burden on what are already overworked priests in uh, Dublin. And they're asking them to take on the funeral uh, rites. And more than 70 new lay leaders in two dioceses, the Diocese of Clogher and the Diocese of Down and Connor. They're due to finish their training in the coming months and they'll be taking a leading role in funeral liturgies over the next um, the number over the next number of years across those two uh, diocese. We have diminishing priests' numbers. We have an even worsening vocation crisis, so we don't have anyone coming up training to take over from the older uh, priests, and that's going to lead to problems with having funerals into the future. Father O'Donovan, who's parish priest of Cahar Condish in County Limerick, he said lay people are being trained at the moment at diocesan levels all over the country, and they are being specifically trained to perform funeral duties. And he says it's exactly what is needed. 
because the burden on priests at the moment, he said it has to be relieved. He said there are fewer and fewer priests than ever before. The ones that are there are getting older, yet people still expect a priest to be available to lead a funeral mass. He said it simply is starting to become unrealistic. So lay people will start to take a more central role. He says we're already seeing it happening in some parishes where the parishioners will go with the priest to visit a grieving family or to help out at the church. But he says by the end of the decade, so in a few short years, he said we that will start to become normal to see a lay person leading the funeral ceremonies. And he said pretty doing much everything apart from they obviously won't be able to say mass. So you won't have a funeral mass. He says there may be far fewer funeral masses into the future. He said the priests simply are not going to be there. So he says by the turn of the decade, it'll become commonplace. If you're going to a funeral, you'll be seeing laity and maybe priests helping out, but you could easily go and it will just be a lay person who will be conducting the funeral uh, rites. And he says we're certainly going to see it more in uh, cities. And he says what we're going to start seeing is funeral ceremonies without a mass because the priest won't be there. He says another trend that we're going to see before long are going to be delays with funeral ceremonies uh, taking place, particularly if a person says, no, I want a priest, I want to have a mass for my loved one, then those people are going to be told, well, you're going to have to wait. You'll be queuing up. You could be waiting anything up to two weeks, a little bit like what happens in England for the very same uh, reason. And he said the other thing we're likely to see is a couple of funerals taking place at the same time. And he said that's that's what the impact of priest shortages is going to be. So we were going to have grouped funerals and this will be for families who are insisting that they want to have a funeral mass. So it will be, OK, there's two people have passed away in you know in a certain area. We'll have both of those. We'll have the funerals together. So you'll have two grieving families. And then if somebody else dies in the meantime, you could end up having three coffins inside the church. Now, I don't know how people would feel about that, but I also don't know how people would feel about burying their loved one without a funeral mass. Because I think when certainly when it comes uh, to burials, people like the traditions that are associated with that. I was watching Alice Taylor on The Meaning of Life a couple of weeks ago with uh, Joe Duffy and, you know, she was talking about her own gorgeous husband, uh, Gabriel, when he passed away and the traditions around funerals and how important the wake uh, is. Now, obviously, the wakes, all of those can continue because they're something individual families do. But the actual going to the church and be met, you know, the body being met by the priest, being welcomed into the church and then the prayers that are said and then the funeral mass that could be a thing of the past. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 0818-103-103. John Paul is taking your calls and you can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Ballygarvin Community Association, the outdoor Christmas market, they're now taking stall bookings. The market, market will take place at Ballygarvin Community Centre. It's Sunday, the 26th of November, and it'll be on between 11 and 2 to check stall availability. You can contact Elaine on 087-295-1063 or you can visit Ballygarvin Community Association. They're up on Facebook. 
Donnerail Active Retirement. They are meeting at three o'clock today. They also have a six week yoga course that is starting at two o'clock today. Yana, you are not alone. The Domestic Violence Project, they will hold an information morning in Lakela Family Resource Centre tomorrow morning, Tuesday, between 11am and 12 noon. They'll be discussing accommodation and the recent changes to legislation followed by a COPPA and Lisa O'Brien will give a talk on alternative holistic therapy from 12.15 to 1.15. If you'd like to register, you can call Pauline on 087-433-5047. And the Pike Theatre Group in Balancolic, they're holding their monthly script tomorrow night, Tuesday, in Balancolic Rugby Club Tanner Park at half past eight. The Westgate Foundation Choir will perform some of their songs. Everybody welcome to come along and the usual cuppa and sandwiches will be served. You can enjoy the music, the song, maybe even if it dance or two. There'll also be a raffle tomorrow night. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And as the government and the leaders of the coalition finalise the budget, people are having their own uh, thoughts coming into us. Patricia, I don't agree with more increases to child benefit, particularly this notion of giving a double benefit payment before Christmas. People need to think about providing for their children before having multiple children. If you can't afford them then don't depend on the taxpayer to fund your decisions. Oh, I think that's a, a little bit uh, harsh because if you can have a family that might only have one or two children and they're just struggling at the moment with the cost of living and they've been doing fine up to now and I think the government are even accepting that and that's one of the reasons why they're looking at targeting people with children with that double uh, children's allowance. Somebody else says on the budget it's about time that the social welfare recipients didn't get as much. It's always us, the hardworking middle class people. Uh, they are the ones that they need to target. We're always the forgotten ones, the squeezed middle. Hi Patricia, when you say everybody will get the €400 Euro credit for electricity, or that's what's been speculated, does that mean all of the TDs in Leinster House and does it mean all of the millionaires? Yeah, it's, it's a universal payment. They looked at it before and said that if they were to do it on a means tested uh, rate that it would just be too complicated it would be too expensive to do so the easiest way was to hand out the the, the they gave three 200 euro electricity credits basically if you had an electricity meter in your house then you were entitled to the three 200 euro uh, credits and I'm assuming it's going to be the same but this time it's just going to be two of them you're going to get 400 uh, euro it did mean of course that people who had holiday uh, homes uh, got it as well and you know I remember there was criticism at the time of that because uh, people are are still running the electricity based on the credit that they got because they don't use a lot of electricity and then on the priest's list Funerals without priests will become the norm. And if you are insisting on having a mass, you may have to wait up to two weeks for a funeral. There also could be the possibility that you won't be the only funeral. At, your loved one won't be the only one that the funeral mass will be said for. You could have two or three coffins up at the top of the church. Because of the way it's going, we have an ageing priest population and we don't have the vocations. Hi Patricia. And I was wondering how people would feel about having a funeral without a priest. Hi Patricia, I'm in my mid-70s. And as funerals go, I would be quite happy for someone from my family 
to get up, say a few prayers, maybe say a few words uh, about uh, it, about me. Some priests just wanted all their own way. And I've seen it from both sides when we have had a bereavement. You can get very good priests, but you can also get ones who just want their own way. And here's, thank you for that. And here's another interesting text from somebody who said, I've already written my will and I've put it in my will that I don't want a priest or uh, a mass. I have good reason for it. And by the way, I'm still Catholic, but you don't. You obviously don't want a Catholic burial, uh, which you can, you can have a humanist burial now. They're becoming quite popular as well because not everyone is a practising Catholic and not everybody wants to go down that route. 0818 103 103. If you have questions for Annalise Drissel, our nutritional therapist, I can see some coming into us uh, already. Can you uh, get, continue to get your questions in? You can either call John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862 103 103. And I spotted a piece in the paper earlier this morning that tied in with something we did last week. Last week on the programme, I spoke with the Primary Principles Forum and it was a, a local principal joined us, but speaking on behalf of other principals from around the country and they were highlighting how underfunded primary schools are. And the piece I read this morning very much backs up that claim with the news that parents are paying more than twice as much as was previously thought to simply plug the holes in primary school finances. And they're doing that in the form of the voluntary contribution. But it isn't just voluntary contributions. Some schools are have other charges in which the children are asked to bring in, bring in money. And of course, I don't think there's a school in the country that doesn't do some kind of a fundraiser throughout the year. And what's happened is there's been a financial review of the primary school sector and an analysis of the financial accounts. There was over 400 primary schools uh, took part and it kind of dispels the myth about free education. And this review showed that parents are paid out about €54 million in the academic year from 2020 to 2021 to schools. And it was a report that was done by the well-known accountancy firm Grant Thornton. Now, that €54 million is much greater than the Department of Education's data. Their data states that primary and secondary schools uh, receive about 28 million in voluntary contributions. We're looking at this Grant Thornton, if you're basing the... like. The 400 schools, if you're basing that on all the other schools in the country, that could be more than double. It could be up to 54 million. Official figures, however, do admit that they exclude itemised parental contributions. You know, things like photocopying or if your children are asked to bring in money for art materials or any other stuff that they're doing during the year. The Department of Education say, well, we, we don't have a note of those. It's just purely the voluntary contributions that they're keeping an eye on. So it was the Catholic primary school management. They commissioned the report and they're saying that the results of this clearly highlight the extent to which schools need immediate financial help. Now, while government officials will say that a landmark budget last year provided record investment, school representatives say the sector still remains chronically underfunded. And when I spoke with the Primary Principals Forum last week, that was one of the points I made. You know, didn't the government, with the cost of living and the cost of heating, didn't they give extra money to the schools? And while the principals admitted they did, it still wasn't enough to cover all of the bills. So the Catholic Primary Schools Management Report just goes to show the importance of the bank of mum and dad in propping up 
the system and it's a system that they say needs immediate investment. The report examined the financial accounts of 423 schools and among the findings were almost half 48% of primary schools said they they were running deficits and if you look at the books, they opened up their books obviously for Grant Thornton. The deficits are running anywhere between 10,500 and €35,500 the stress and strain that principals and board of management must be under trying to make ends meet. It's just phenomenal. They say parental contributions from schools, they reckon that came in at 3.5 uh, million and then income generated from fundraising are parents accounted for up to 7% of the overall school uh, in, in income. So, you know, traditionally there was a time where parents would fundraise if a school needed a whiteboard or if a school needed, you know, a particular, maybe some sporting equipment or whatever. It's looking like now a lot of the cake sales and the other you know, bag packing or whatever the fundraisers the schools decide to do. A lot of it has been used just for the general running of the school, but it certainly is dispelling the myth of free education. Again, I can't see anything in what's coming out so far from the government as to where we are, you know, what's expected to come from the, bud- the from the budget uh, tomorrow. Um, I mean, certainly under education, there has been items mentioned under education. I mean, in particular, I was talking earlier on for third level, they're talking about the Susie grants are certainly going to uh, go up and I know Norma Foley the Minister of Education she's trying to do her bit for for education and she's been pushing for um, things like I know she was initially pushing for the secondary school books to be free to the parents which would be very welcome indeed the last I heard about that I think she got it as far as junior search but I think that would even be welcome but she was talking about things um, like like the school meals the hot school dinners for everybody in primary school that's what she was talking about but I certainly haven't heard anything in the leaks so far that there's going to be an increase in the capitation grants. And that's how much each individual child, the Department of Education, give, depending on the numbers that are in the school. They base it on the numbers of uh, pupils and the capitation grant per pupil. I mean, last week when I spoke with the principals, they say it, it works out, I think, at, at a euro a week or a euro a day. It was certainly wasn't a lot of money, but there's no talk about the capitation grant. But there's another report very much backing up with the principals are saying that they simply don't have enough money to keep the lights on and to keep the, the heating is going to be really expensive this year. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. And Annalise Drussell from the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig uh, joining us this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And on a lovely Monday, it's it's just fantastic. The, the, the nice weather and the, uh, just a chance to get some more sun on our bones. Yeah, well, it's actually just lifting now in Ballincollig. It was very misty this morning. Yeah, well, that's, so, um, yeah, it's enjoy nice. Enjoy it. Yeah, if yeah, it's yeah that's in it. In the sun now, enjoy it. Yeah, that's it. Okay, straight into questions. Question for Annalise, please. My daughter, who's 12, suffers with acne. Now, she's been taking Viridian Clear Skin Complex and she uses Serva Hydrating Cleanser. I've been doing that for quite some while. But to be honest, it really isn't improving. Is there anything else that Annalise would recommend? And it says those teenage years, isn't it, and acne and it can be dreadful for... Oh, it's dreadful for them, Patricia, yeah. especially because everything now is about selfies and their lives are lived online. So um, the um, Viridian Clear Skin Complex is a great product, actually, but it, it doesn't work for everybody. And that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. So 
at the age of 12, really, it is probably hormonal. You know, it's very much puberty is causing it. So it's really about hormone balance and liver support so that the body is getting rid of liver, sorry, getting rid of old hormones. I'd nearly go and work with a nutritional therapist because I think with the clear skin complex, it probably works for one in every two people. But the other one that it doesn't work for, it's a lot more difficult to get the skin back to rights. But generally, what I would recommend if I had someone coming into my clinics would be the first thing I would try a dairy-free diet. Um, And the reason being is that dairy is full of something called insulin-like growth factor because they need to grow the calves very, very quickly. And this actually drives androgens in the in the in the human body. So it'll it'll definitely cause more acne. So for some people cutting out dairy is a big factor. I'm making sure that the liver is working well, taking a liver support that has got some sulfur in there because that's what you want for hormone detoxification. So you're looking for some something like milk thistle, artichoke, dandelion, Terranova do a lovely one of those. Um, there's another great liver support one by NHP. It's called Advanced Liver Support, and that would be very good. And then maybe taking a magnesium and a B6 supplements for hormone balance. And maybe give that a go for a couple of months. And there is actually um, a product that we get good feedback on, which is the Salcura Antiac. And it's not an expensive face wash. And they also do a spray. And we get very good feedback on that for people with acne. And if that doesn't work, then unfortunately, there's not much else around the natural route you can do. Okay, good luck with that. Actually, stay on liver issues because, hi, Annalise, is there anything you could recommend to get rid of fatty liver? It isn't drink related. And by the way, I'm not overweight. Uh, Would you have any suggestions? And also, do you know what would cause it? Yeah, it's actually becoming very common, Patricia, um, amongst, and it used to be called um, it used to be mostly only seen in people who drank heavily because the alcohol, was, which is basically sugar in another form, was converted to fat and stored in the liver. Um, it's called non-alcoholic uh, fatty liver, and it is generally as a result of a high-carbohydrate, high-sugar, high-fructose um, diet. And we're seeing a lot more of it now because a lot of the foods that we're eating have got high, um, the high-fructose corn syrup added into it. So very common um, and not necessarily anything to worry about hugely so long as you can kind of keep it under control and really it's about managing your diet. So the first thing I would recommend is cutting out absolutely 100% all sugar and sugary foods and I would even go so far as to say you probably should be following a lower carbohydrate diet so you should be cutting out things like bread, pasta, rice, um, any obviously biscuits and sweets and cakes that as well. Even potatoes, I'd limit the potatoes as well. And if you are eating any of those carbohydrates, if you can't function without them, they should all be whole grains. So eat potatoes with the skin on and go for the brown rice, brown pasta and full proper brown bread. So, And then in terms of the diet, making sure there's loads of vegetables because the vegetables have all the nutrients that support liver. And then in terms of supplements, there's a couple that I would recommend. So the first one is milk thistle. Uh, milk thistle is actually lovely because it, it works to keep the cells of the liver healthy. So it, it kind of is very much supporting from a, a, a very basic root level. And if you can get the liver healthy, then the liver can get rid of the fat. Also, berberine is another lovely one. It's spelled B-E-R-B-E-R-I-N-E. Some people might be familiar with the tree. It's a beautiful looking red kind of tree with kind of disc shaped leaves in the garden. And berberine is um, in some studies has been shown to be as effective as metformin, which is the type 2 diabetic drug. So that will help make your cells more 
sensitive to glucose and the better that you handle glucose, the less likely it will be converted to fat and stored in the liver. So that in conjunction with the diet, the two of those would help. And then for some people, um, if there is any precursor or any pre-diabetes, I would also add alpha-lipoic acid. And this has a, a hugely protective effect for not just the liver cells, but for all cells around the body. Okay. Hi, uh, Annalise. Anything that you could recommend for mood swings due to the menopause? I can be very down. I can fly off the handle. Just simple outbursts. It's like PMTs reversed. I'm in my late 50s. I do exercise and I eat a good diet. Any suggestions, please? Yeah, so I think at the most basic level, Patricia, I would recommend uh, magnesium and B6. So B6, you need at least 50 milligrams of B6. And for some people, it might cause a little bit of finger tingling. If that's the case, cut it back to 25 milligrams a day. But B6 is wonderful for teenagers who suffer PMT or for menopausal women that have got that fluctuating mood. But generally, what I think probably would work the best is to take plant-based estrogens or else go to your doctor and have HRT. Now, these won't be suitable if there's any family history of cervical or breast cancer. But if if that's not the case, they are absolutely fantastic and they make a huge difference. Um, Now, HRT for some people is a life changer, Patricia, but I've had also people who do not do well on HRT. And the plant-based ones seem to work very well for most people, including those who don't do well on HRT. So the plant-based estrogens generally come from either soya or things like linseeds, chia seeds, lignans, they're called, and they have an estrogenic mimicking effect in the body. And the ones that we get great feedback on here is the Nutri-Advanced Mega Mag Perimenopause Support, and it also has the magnesium and B6 in there for mood. It has a bit of Shatavari for mood. It has got sage in there for the hot flushes, um, and it's got ashwagandha and rhodiola, which are lovely for mood, especially if there's a lot of stress going on. So I would definitely start off with that one. And then some people do well on uh, the Revive Active, Menoactive. That's another nice one that has got some of those mood balancing things in there as well. And you can take those, Patricia, for, you know, for as long as you want. I think HRT now, they're even recommending that you take right up into your your late 70s and 80s. Mm. Yeah, they've completely changed their views and their minds on that. Okay, Paula wants to know, would you have a natural remedy for an itchy scalp? So itchy scalp is either one of two things. Um, It is either a dandruff, which is a fungal problem, or it's dermatitis, which generally is an allergy. And a lot of people are allergic to sodium lauryl sulfate, which is put into um, shampoos and all other things where you require foaming. So the first thing I would do is I would would come from both angles, actually. So you're catching it, whether it's one or the other. Um, So I would... Get, definitely get a shampoo without sodium lauryl sulfate. And the one that works best here for people is the Hope's Relief Shampoo. It works really, really well. Um, but if you can't get your hands on that, um, A. Vogel, he does a neem shampoo, which is really lovely. And even a lot of the Faith in Nature products, they don't have sodium lauryl sulfate, so you could use those as a, as a shampoo. And then the other thing to do is to get something called grapefruit seed extract liquid Higher Nature do it, um, and it's called their their product is called Citricidal, and it's literally the oil that's been um, squeezed out of the, the seeds of the grape, and it's a very powerful antifungal. So what I normally suggest to people is that they massage it into the scamp, scalp and leave it sit for about 10 minutes before washing their hair, um, and then just wash it out. And once it's cleared up, you can just simply add it into your shampoo for maintenance. 
Okay, hi Annalise. Any recommendations, please? I have shingles. I've had them before a few times. Is there anything I can take that would support my nervous system and my anxiety? Because I really believe it's my anxiety which is triggering the shingles. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Patricia, actually, because it's like a, it's it's related to the cold sore virus and most people who suffer from cold sores will tell you that if they get stressed or run down at all, they'll get a cold sore. So the shingles virus is very similar to that virus. So you could take lysine on a regular basis to try and help suppress that virus. You're going to need at least 1,000 milligrams a day. The other thing I would be sure to do is support the immune system because that virus never leaves your body. It's always in your body, but it just remains dormant. Your immune system keeps it suppressed. But if your immune system is struggling, that's where it can rear its head. So for immune support, um, I recommend at the very most basic, I would recommend vitamin D, C and zinc. But if you can get your hands on um, an elderberry comp, the BioNutri elderberry complex is lovely. Um, I know Nutri Advanced do one as well called Immunoblast. And they have different antivirals in there from elderberry. They've got your vitamin A, C, E, zinc, selenium. And they also have something called beta-glucans, which come generally from mushrooms and are really powerful immune supports. So that's what I would do in terms of prevention. And then to answer the second question, which was about anxiety, there's two different things, two different approaches for anxiety, I find. One for that works in the immediate moment to help you feel calmer and then one that strengthens your ability to cope with stress so that you're less likely to feel anxious. So for the first one, for the immediate, either CBD oil, the cannabis oil, or L-theanine can work very quickly to take the edge off any anxiety. And then in the long term, you're looking at ashwagandha and rhodiola, fantastic herbs to help improve your abilities to cope with stress. Okay, a listener has been diagnosed with a twisted gut and also suffers with constipation. I don't know if they go hand in hand. Is wondering, should the twisted gut be treated and are laxative dangerous to be taking a lot? So twisted gut sounds to me like that, um, that the whole intestine has twisted around. So that would be a physical blockage, Patricia, which I think would be very dangerous. So I think definitely would require medical um, intervention to untwist it because I think no matter how many laxatives you take, if, if it's twisted so that it's very hard for anything to move along at all, that would, that would be a huge problem. Um, so sometimes people might say they'd a twisted gut if things weren't moving well enough, so possibly it's just a term that some people use, mm. in which case natural-based laxatives are safe to take and are safe to take long-term, and they're actually much gentler. So what I'd normally recommend to people is if they're very constipated is take your your pharmaceutical laxatives first from the, the, the chemists and get everything cleared out. And then once you've kind of had a good clear out, maintain it by taking things like psyllium husk, which is a lovely gentle fibre. It helps to soften a very hard stool and would be very suitable if you had a twisted gut as well or if their gut was in any way was contorted because it'll help smooth the passage of, uh, of um, food through the gut. And then the other thing is aloe vera, which is lovely too. Magnesium um, can help if it's a lazy gut. So if, you know, if it's very slow and sluggish, that can help hugely as well. And there's something called aloe complex uh, by a company called Aloe Pura. And that's a mix of, I think, rhubarb, magnesium, aloe vera, 
and a few other bits and it's a very safe and nice natural laxative that you can take to help things along as well. Okay, all right, we'll leave it there, Annalise. Have a good week and we'll chat next Monday. Thanks for joining us. That is Annalise Drussell. Her website is healthhubstore.com and this afternoon she'll put up all the items that we discussed today as heard on the radio. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Rich for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.